0: It's having the confidence to know that there's no right or wrong way to do something. It's having the confidence to be the person who walks up to somebody and says hello to them uh, that serves as the greeter when they're walking into a building. But it's also recognizing that the world is complex and it's changing rapidly.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. We are talking about a wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And here on this podcast, we're talking to thought leaders in that wave who get up every morning and tackle some of the world's most vexing problems, and still, they think the future is bright. So we need to know what they know. We need to know how they look at obstacles and find ways around them just like that the people changing the future for the better have a lot to share with us and they're eager to do it i found so i am dr linda ulrich founder of the goodness exchange the home for goodness on the web and today we're going to speak with lisa gable lisa is an amazing person that i came across who has served four u.s presidents two governors and council fortune 500 ceos and she has represented the global, private, and public partnerships and nonprofits in a way with with the goal of moving individuals and organizations to a higher level of performance. We all need that now. And my recall with Lisa made me realize that she is, in many ways, an ordinary person just like us who has done extraordinary things, and she can help us find that match that the insights we need in our everyday life to tackle our own complications and live with a sense of purpose and meaning. So Lisa, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me. I just absolutely love the theme of goodness and positivity. So it's really a wonderful way to wake up this morning.
1: Well, I tell you, I I was just walking on air. Lisa and I exchanged about three or four emails after we had had our first chat. So I think this chat is going to be even better. I'm going to just make one, oh, I don't know, one heads up. I'm really with a lake behind me. (laughs) And so you will hear... Canada geese flying over at time to time. But you know, the morning was so glorious here in Illinois that I just thought, what better time to have a conversation with somebody like Lisa and just celebrate the wholeness of our good world, our beautiful world. So Lisa, you know, you've had quite a life experience. A to Z, you can help us get from A to Z without a lot of trial and error, but give us a picture of that story so we know where you're coming from.
0: Well, you know, I've just been blessed and I and I truly appreciate the opportunities that I've had and I've had the opportunity to meet amazing people and having those people stay in my life, be part of my life, people that I can link arms with and do good things with together throughout my experiences, which basically transitioned through government, business, and also public-private partnerships, nonprofits. I've had the opportunity to do turnarounds. I started my career in the Reagan White House and Defense Department, and as I tell people, there's nothing like the end of the Cold War to serve as your greatest inflection point. first turnaround that you were part of. It's definitely one that I can claim. But then moving into Silicon Valley and having the opportunity to work with Craig Barrett, who would later become the CEO and chairman of the Board of Intel. And what he taught me were how to apply manufacturing principles to solve complex problems. And I was Craig's troubleshooter. And he was an individual that was also engaged across business, government, and philanthropy. And so he would have me go in and use these principles and peel back the onion and try to understand what the underlying cause was as to why something wasn't working. And so I've taken that forward and combined it with the art of diplomacy that I learned at the White House and the State Department, uh, because the goal is to understand what actions we take, how
1: those actions impact people. And so that's been the core theme of my life. Okay. I love this. I want people to know that we're not going to be talking in lofty circles, What, even though Lisa definitely comes from them. She's going to bring this down to earth for us. And it all comes down to, something you said that I wrote down that still gives me goosebumps when you said it. I wrote down that you said, anyone has the ability to pick up the mantle of leadership in any moment and leadership has a broad meaning in all these experiences you've had. This is the story for most of our times right now as individuals is that we need to pick up the mantle of leadership in our families and our businesses. Go on about that.
0: Well, you know, and one thing I want to say is you're talking about sort of the grounding of of me as an individual. I wrote one of my favorite blogs that I've written and that got a lot of attention was that I wear Jimmy Choo shoes and I eat a Cracker Barrel. And I really do. (laughs) So, you know, my, my husband always laughs that I seem to become coming from a major event every time I go to Walmart. So I'm like, I think the only person that's been in a ball gown walking around Walmart on a regular basis. But, you know, the reality is, and one reason I, I raised sort of the Cracker Barrel environment is that you see within America and throughout the history of our country, that real people, have done things to impact the lives of other people and I was reminded of that you know as I was reading through uh, the transcript from flight number 93 on 9-11 we were all given that transcript for the first time and that that really came home in a big way because here are individuals that were put into a situation and to read what they talked about the concerns that they had the things they said to their family there was nothing more moving and I hope that none of us ever have a, an experience where we have to face something of that, that magnitude, but it demonstrated that there's something unique about the American spirit, and we saw that during COVID. What we saw is the frontline workers, and they weren't just frontline workers who were doctors and nurses and first responders, the people that we applauded and we came to really appreciate after 9-11, but it was the folks in the grocery stores. It was the people that drove the UPS trucks. It was the individual that was delivering your power package to you or that was making sure that if you had a pre-existing disease and you weren't comfortable getting out of your car that they walked through the cold weather and they put your groceries in the trunk of your car for you it was moms and dads coming together to help each other forming pods and making sure that they could you know give each other a break at different points in times teachers who were teaching online Everyone was a hero. And I was just at a panel discussion, I was moderating, it was with UPS, CVS and Pfizer. And these were the people in charge of the distribution of the vaccines. And what UPS told me is that it was such a big deal when these planes landed from the United States in foreign countries with the vaccine in in the airplane, they were met by the head of state of the country. That's what a big deal it was. So, you know, so whoever thought that the UPS guy was going to be met by the head of state. And I know I like, I want to go hug my UPS people. I want to hug my FedEx guys. I really appreciate everything that everybody's done. So it's a moment in time. It's going to present itself to you. And the question is, do you take and stand up or not?
1: I have goosebumps from that insight there. This is huge. Yeah. So so sometimes the moment arises like out of the blue. I'm sure the UPS guy didn't know the head of state was meeting him either. Right. So in that moment, we have to raise our game. Right.
0: We do. And, you know, it's also we we learn it as children. One of the things I, I used to teach my daughter is if we were on the playground and she saw another child who didn't have anyone to play with, go over there, introduce yourself and ask them if they wanted to play with your group. It's that simple. It's that process of expanding your table and inviting people in. You know, if it's at church and you see somebody that you haven't seen before, walk up to them, greet them, welcome them. We don't do that anymore and it's you know we're almost embarrassed to we don't want to admit oh maybe we don't know the person or how are they going to feel if I walk up to them and say something but you know leadership is recognizing that someone has a need and you have the ability to take an action that meets that person's need it's that simple
1: that's lovely all right. So I think one of the biggest barriers we've danced around already a little bit in this conversation to to individual leadership in the moment in our families in our schools in our kids' lives in our working days is this thing of imposter syndrome. I was going to kind of wait to get into that, but let's just talk about that because I think you know self doubt um, in the moment is what keeps us from going over to that person on the playground or the at the dinner party or whatever and introducing ourselves.
0: It is. I mean, you know, it's it's having the confidence to know that there's no right or wrong way to do something. It's having the confidence to be the person who walks up to somebody and says hello to them, uh, that serves as the greeter when they're walking into a building. But it's also recognizing that the world is complex and it's changing rapidly. And I think that people look at people like you and they look at people like me and they go, oh, well, I can't do what they do. They've got all the answers. No, we don't. <laughs> you know, sometimes I tell my team, it's like I go, okay, finger in the wind. And the key is you have to make decisions. One of my favorite movies, absolutely favorite movies is When We Were Soldiers. It's with Mel Gibson. It takes place in Vietnam. It's a true story about a colonel who was basically engaged in one of the first battles. And there's the scene where he's training his folks for how they're going to land in the battlefield. And he goes, they're getting off the plane. He goes, you're dead guy. And the next guy, you're dead. You're dead. And the third guy, fourth guy off. He goes, okay, you're the only one that's alive. What are you going to do? And the thing that we have to understand is we may not be fully prepared, but the reality is through the training you've gotten in school, through perhaps the leadership moments that you've had, if you've been on a football team or basketball team, whether it's something where you've been a volunteer in your church, you have experiences that are relevant. You have the ability to make a decision. It's the confidence in your ability to make that decision. And guess what? It doesn't matter if you get it wrong. What matters is you move
1: forward. One foot in front of the other. That is the recipe, right? Yeah. Okay. So in our pre-call, you mentioned some marvelous things I don't want folks to miss. You you mentioned this whole concept of realizing that you may just be the first one in. Talk to us about the first one in.
0: Well, one thing you have to understand, and you can't really tell it on the screen, is I'm really tiny. (laughs) I'm going to explain why that's important. Here I was. I made a decision when I was growing up as a little girl. I was very prissy, but I was really into military weapons and military battlefields. And My whole bedroom was decorated with, with Civil War things and Revolutionary War things. And my mother would just look at me and go, well, what are you going to do? And I got a my bonnet that I was going to apply for a program at Georgetown University that was for mid-career military and national security experts. Don't ask me why I got that B in my bonnet, but I was bound and determined. I heard about it. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. Turns out the program was 85% men, 85% men of which the majority were individuals in their late thirties who were military personnel. And I was also working at the Pentagon at the time under Ronald Reagan, and I was 21 years old. You know, their, their nickname for me was Tinkerbell. And back then, the chairs had been made for men. So I'm sitting in these huge chairs and my feet don't touch the ground. Well, the reality was that I wasn't an imposter. I just happened to be one of the first women showing up to the party. And, and so somebody has to be the first person in and you're not going to look like everybody else because you're new, you're different, but everybody is the first person in at some point in time, you know, as we, as we talk to kids at Google and, and Facebook and all these companies it's new. They're all the first ones in. And and we understand, you know, there's been research that's shown all these young people in Silicon Valley have the imposter syndrome. Well, nobody's done what you've done before. So everybody's an imposter. We're all figuring it out. And and you can't have, you've got to recognize that the world is changing and we're all making decisions based on what we know, but we're learning as we move forward and so is everybody else. So is the person next to you. And if you had admitted in a meeting you watch the whole room relax like I can't even begin to tell you like when I just call out the elephant in the room all of a sudden people go oh phew I don't have to know everything thank god I can ask a dumb question so be the first one to ask the dumb question because you're not the only person in the room
1: that wants to do so absolutely absolutely that is such an amazing observation and it's a real practical the real practical point Just be the first one to mention it and everybody's shoulders probably fall in a good way.
0: It does. Absolutely. Look, I'm not I've been in highly technical fields. I'm not a math wizard. Science was not my favorite subject. I've been in high tech. I've worked with the pharmaceutical industry, the biotech industry, the auto industry. You know, I don't know what the Ph.D. in quantum computers knows that's sitting next to me. I've never flown a military helicopter. I've never produced a pharmaceutical product. So why pretend like I know what's going on? I don't. And it, but the thing is, I know stuff they don't know. That's why I'm there. That's why they invited me. And so when you know things that other people don't know, then have the confidence to ask the questions that you don't know the answer to. That's, that's really the key thing. So I went to the National Security Studies program at um, the Army War College. And there's this funny picture that goes around the web because people love it. Because I look like I'm 12, I'm 28, and I'm sitting in the middle of all these huge military men. I was, you know, I was 28 years old. And they brought me in to talk about the work I was doing at Intel. In education and privatization and and STEM and all these new things, because it was new back then, I've been around for a long time. They invited me in to get my opinion. And that's when I learned I have some value to offer to somebody, even if I really don't understand what they do on a day-to-day basis
1: yeah so that is something a quick little practical thing to remind us even when we ourselves when we when we are launching into those situations they invited us there for a reason we are there for a reason and we don't know to, need to know everything but i think that that gets to something else you you mentioned when we first chatted that i absolutely want to remind people of and you had such a lovely way of putting it the pandemic has created a level playing field everyone is starting again Everyone's the first one in.
0: We are. I mean, the pandemic has really done a massive reset and it's reset people's priorities in business. It's reset people's priorities in their lives. We're all figuring it out. I mean, every day I'm the CEO of a not-for-profit organization. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm really not going to be too sure what the day is going to present to me and haven't for the last 20 months. All I can do is make the best decision I can. All I can do is listen to my people, understand what's important to them and then balance that against the requirements of the job, what people are paying us to do. People are giving us paychecks in a lot of these situations to do something. So we have an obligation, but how we fulfill that obligation, it's not a clean path forward. I mean, right now we have a five-year plan. We operate on an annual budget. We operate on measurable results. But we are doing our planning sometimes in 90 day increments, because look, we have a new variant that just popped up. What's going to happen next? What's the next shoe to drop? We're all figuring it out. And we need to be honest and open about that very transparent.
1: Yeah, this is, this is a good time for us to share, share your latest book. Talk, talk to us about your latest book, because I think, I think you could probably argue that almost all of us are in turnaround mode. Talk to us about that.
0: So I was, I was actually down the path of writing a book on leadership and character, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. And my my publisher said, you know, you've done turnarounds in all these different sectors, business, government, philanthropy. And so you've made something that you do works. And if there's a way that you can give people hope and give them clear guidance on how they can emerge from the pandemic, then that's going to be the book for you. And so I wrote the book Turnaround for that purpose to basically, again, show how I've taken these many principles, integrated them with the art of diplomacy, but also added a bit of heart to this. And so what I look at is getting people to visualize the future. And then I have a four step process and how to get there. But one of the key factors that I emphasize in the book is that you do it with heart and you understand the impact on people. I've been so pleased that I've heard from so many people that have said, you know what, I'm actually using your book in my personal life, because one of the things I talk about is ranking and rating. You can't do everything. And what the pandemic is really showing us right now is that we have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of energy and we need to acknowledge that we all can't keep going and going and going. So you got to rank and rate what you're doing and make a decision. So whether it's ranking and rating what you're doing at work or deciding, do you really need to do the laundry this week? Or could you just wear the pair of pants that nobody's going to see because you're on Zoom anyway? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my attitude. I don't know about yours.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I have to say that this is a wonderful part of our times right now is that our minds are a little bit more open than they were before. I mean, they have to be. We were searching for things that can help us survive and thrive. Before, we were just so nose to the grindstone before the pandemic. And this is, this is the way I look at your book, is that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to take the strategies that work in, in the business world or, or all of our lives and bring them down to how we you know organize our families around some new giant setback or what have you. I mean, a good principle is true across the board.
0: It is and you know one thing i should say the book focus on business but it also brings you into things in my life my husband i think i mentioned to you that right after we got married we had adopted a daughter and my husband was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness and two autoimmune diseases he's seven operations in in a matter of two years And, and so he was the president of a startup. We had literally just adopted this baby. We had a month notice about the baby. So we hadn't even had like ramp up time. Most people get nine months to think about this. It was like, oh, hi, can we give you a baby in four weeks? Sure. We'll take her. I was running a consulting firm in Silicon Valley. It was during the dot-com boom. And all of a sudden my husband you know, on this operating table, having a massive tumor. And so, you know, even as I, I I applied these principles to my life, I had to zig and zag in my life. I had to reorder how I was going to play out my career, recognizing that I would continuously have moments in our life, which we have had now for the past 23 years, where things go along really, really well. And then boom, we have to shut down again. So I've been through what people have been through in the pandemic. I think it's one reason I've adjusted a little better than some people because this is how I live my life. It's like, oh, okay, run, 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 boom, stop. Okay, what are you gonna do now?
1: (laughs) And it's so true that we look at folks who have achieved a lot of of outer success. And it's easy to think that, their story is more perfect than ours or easier or what have you. But I thank you for showing that with everybody that's listening now, because, you know, you do seem to be someone who has it all together, but I'm not sure any of us have it all together. I think that most of us are facing some complexities that we that we never thought we'd have to face. And this is the reason for this podcast, because I am choosing very trustworthy people like you to speak to who can share what they've learned through a life of rigorous intention, obviously something that you've done and a life of hard knocks. I mean, there's no sense all of us reinventing the wheel over and over again.
0: Absolutely not. You know, I'm going to tell you, there have been moments where, you know, I, I was commuting into Washington from a great distance because we made a decision. We wanted our daughter to grow up in a smaller community because of my husband's illness. But I still had to have a job. And so I was doing these long commutes. And I'll tell you, I would get up sometimes at 530 in the morning and I would sit in the floor of my closet and cry. And then I would get <laughs> in the shower, wipe off all the tears, do a big blast of cold water, dry myself off, fix my hair go back up the hill again. All of us do it. The thing is, you don't see us doing it. We all do it. And people have had those moments and being willing to acknowledge that we have throughout COVID is it's okay. The critical thing is you got to get back up. That is the critical thing. You cannot stay down and you can get back up. And you can, and one of the things I do is when I've had a really bad day at work, I try to do one thing for another person before I go to sleep at night. And it might be that I, I remember, oh, yeah, that person contacted me. They're looking for a job. So I force myself to sit at the computer, reply to them, say, you know what? Happy to talk with you, or I'm going to refer you to somebody. It may be just going on someone's social media and giving them an add a girl or an add a boy or sharing something that's important to them. But being able to force yourself forward, take an action that helps another person, it just gives you a different perspective on life. It, it helps. It, it gives you this adrenaline you're not going to get otherwise
1: oh that is so lovely lisa i just gotta i just gotta own that i'm taking notes as fast as i can here so if folks see me looking down this is a key point you know it's easy these days to say well am i suffering from a level of depression that needs attention well maybe we are And maybe we just need to get out of ourselves once in a while. And that is a lovely, lovely, a practical piece of advice there. Just do one other thing for someone else before you go to bed. And I thank you so much for sharing that one thing. I might might do that the rest of my life. Thanks (laughs) to coming across you. So we're going to take a break and talk about that very thing. (laughs) <laughs> we have just launched the Goodness Exchange, which is the place for goodness in the world now. And we are trying to make a really trustworthy attempt at bringing together all the light in the world, all the people with insight and innovation going uncelebrated and connecting folks who really care about the world. And there are countless folks, billions of people who really care. So that's the first message we want to share with people. But your message is so much a part of that. When we come back, we're going to talk a bit more about the this turnaround concept in our personal lives. You have some amazing things to talk about towards that. So let's take a quick break. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles and the podcast you're listening to now, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I have a question and an answer for you. Have you been hoping the world is actually a lot better than what you see on the news and social media? Well, it is. In fact, it's radically better. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But on December 1st, 2021, all that changes with the launch of the Goodness Exchange, a digital landscape where you will see that the world is full of goodness and progress, and we will introduce you to the people making it that way. Bottom line, someone is solving Every vexing problem in the world, large and small. And the Goodness Exchange is where people are coming together to amplify a future that includes all that. No one with good intention and good ideas need feel alone again. Here's what you'll find at the Goodness Exchange. There will be articles about the most amazing things going on in the world that are going uncelebrated. There'll be interviews and events that will send your mind and heart soaring again and a social media platform dedicated to a culture of kindness, insight, and celebration, a way of um, amplifying a brighter future for us all. And that social media platform is a place where organizations doing good in the world will not have to hold their nose anymore. It can be a trustworthy, respectful place for organizations to host their groups and gatherings and connect with each other. A network of positive networks, if you will. The Goodness Exchange will be a place to find mini courses and master classes for personal and professional development. And eventually, there'll be a jobs board. And we have a children's website already all teed up. The thread running through it all is that goodness um, and progress is everywhere. And we will help people cultivate what they are uniquely built to contribute to this future for us all. Now, imagine a website with no ads, no games, and no agenda. Just a simple and powerful vision of combining our collective strengths to create a future we can all celebrate. The Goodness Exchange will open a new era for us all as individuals, because you're going to find stuff that make your life better instantaneously and as a collective. Because we all want a better future for our children. Who knows what's possible if there was a place on the internet that brought out our best impulses and our collective genius? Join us after December 1st at the Goodness Exchange and start living with less fear, more joy as an individual and as a collective future for humanity. Thanks. Now we're back to the interview. Okay, we're back. So thank you so much for joining us, Lisa Gable. Lisa is sharing a lot today with us around our perspective. And one of the things that she's really, really given me food for thought on is this concept of turnaround in our personal lives. Because as we pointed out in the first half of the podcast, you know, everybody, it's a level playing field. There's not one executive, there's not one powerful person who's any more skilled at getting through the pandemic and putting one foot in front of the other any more than you and I, right? Yep,
0: we are, we've done it. We have to keep going. I think, you know, we're older, so we've done it a lot. <laughs> we've, yes. We we we're still here. But, yes. you know, I think one thing age does teach us is that life goes on and you move forward. And what looks horrible today In retrospect, my my dad had a saying, and it was actually, it's in the book, which is that he said, my greatest stumbling blocks have actually presented my greatest opportunities. And he would always tell me to challenge my crisis, challenge your crisis. And what he meant by that is, you know, turn it around, look at it, analyze it but challenge it. Don't let it defeat you and recognize that that stumbling block may be the thing that helps you get to the next place. And when I look back at, you know, working almost 40 years in Washington and overseas and in California, I see those moments today. And, you know, it's hard sometimes when I'm talking to my daughter to tell her that something she's going through is that moment that 20 years from now, she's going to look back on and go, yep, because that happened I'm now in this chair but it's the it's something that we each need to recognize
1: okay this is a lovely concept this this playing musical chairs that you spoke to me about share share the concept of playing musical chairs after after losing a chair a few times
0: well you you know my life hasn't been perfect but I keep moving forward that's going to be my theme and, and and it is because my dad's you know challenger crisis and I actually got the letter from him during a time Period where I was at Intel Corporation. I've been there for a number of years. I was a middle manager, and things weren't going my way, and I wasn't happy. And I, and you know, you're at that position where you are basically not important enough to make all the decisions, but you're not junior enough that you can get away with not being able to make some decisions. And and it was a crisis at Intel. Intel lost a lot of what we called middle managers during this time period. I wasn't the only person that left, but I did leave. And I went off and I I had one client, one client. And, and so I had a particular philosophy, I won't go into details, but what I thought would make a great business model. And it was a problem that I thought Silicon Valley would face. It was one that I encountered at in Intel. It had to do with moving from business to business, to business, to consumer. And I went around to all these companies and I told them that they were gonna have this problem and they should hire me to solve it. And, and I will be honest with you, nine months, like my, my savings is whittling down. I'm thinking, oh my God, did I make the biggest mistake? I even reached a point here, I was was 19 years old when I joined the Reagan administration. I worked in the White House, the Defense Department. I'd met famous people. I'd gone off to Intel. And I went to an employment agency. And I will tell you, I have never been so humiliated in my life sitting there thinking, I have screwed this up. I have totally screwed it up. I had every opportunity, I left a great job, and I am sitting here in an employment agency just going, what can I do to make money to pay my mortgage? Right. A few days later, I started getting all these phone calls, all these phone calls. God has to take you down and teach you. There's this humbling mechanism, I think, that we all have to go through so you can appreciate what happens next. And all those companies I'd met with called and said, I had this problem, can you consult the problem? And I went from sitting in that employment agency at month eight after leaving Intel to a year later bringing on board 20 female consultants because I like to hire women, 20 female consultants to help me service the vast array of companies, big companies, Apple computer, Oracle, you know, quantum computer, all these big companies who were then calling me. And I went from nothing to having a really well designed and well-respected agency in Silicon Valley during the dot-com boom. And I appreciated it more and I was kind and I was thoughtful and I thought about things a bit more because of what I
1: had to go through.
0: And so that was just one example where I challenged my crisis. You know, I hit my Level, kept moving forward. And it did happen.
1: That's such a great story and such a great metaphor for us all. If we're in a period right now that, that it seems like we can't win for losing. But you know, that's another thing that you mentioned that I'd like you to comment on. We get turned down, being turned down yeah. or, or winning and losing. It's part of life. And that anguish can teach us so much.
0: Yeah, it can. I will tell you where that conversation. I don't remember if this is why I told you or if it was something else, but I'll tell you an example that I use. So my daughter is in school in Texas. As you may, people watching may know that Texas takes sorority rush really, really big. Like they do everything in Texas and it it really absorbs people's lives. So she calls and she tells me, mom, you're coming down for this. I go, why am I coming down for it? I have nothing to do with it. She goes, well, all the other mothers are coming. I'm like, this is ridiculous, Helen Ann. I go, it's it's sorry, Rush. You're going to go places and some people are gonna invite you back. And other people aren't going to invite you back. And that's kind of the metaphor of life. You're not going to get invited back to 16 parties. just not going to happen. So my likelihood is you're going to get turned down by about 14 at some point in time. Right. And that was just something that really got to me, which was people have to You go through life. You go through interviews. You know, when I go through a big transition, I'm sitting there sending out letters, sending out letters, and people are telling me, no, right and left, right and left it's not like i just go from job to job it's not as if i just had this magic carpet that wafts in and i sit down on it and off i am to the next one it's a process it's a process of rejection i've taken jobs that i thought were perfect i thought were the job the penultimate of everything i would strived for in my life i've gone for jobs that i thought you know i had to do because i'm at this position in washington i need to go for that job and guess what they didn't work out because they weren't the right job for me. And as I moved into the place where I found my home, I found that thing I wanted to do. I found where I could marry my enthusiasm, my commitment, my desire to work with a certain type of person. Then the world was right again. And so getting turned down isn't necessarily a bad thing it just might mean it's not the right match for you. It's not where you're supposed to be. Take it, learn from it, move
1: on. You know, that's something that's very timely, this topic. Maybe some of our listeners maybe uh, have heard this, this This time being called the great reset or the great resignation. I mean, if you haven't heard that term, what's going on is that more people than ever seem to be resigning from perfectly good jobs. And I'm calling it the great questioning. I think People are questioning exactly the concept you just mentioned. Is this a good fit? If I were to be doing this for the next three, five, God forbid, 30 years, would I be happy where... any of that or at the end of it or what have you, talk to me because this best fit is something really, really important. Yeah, Finding yeah. The best I mean, fit.
0: People are going through questions and I think people are going to go through questions for a while. The only thing that I would encourage in the process, and I felt rather strongly about it, is if you make that decision, then do it in a good way. And you really need to focus on leaving your job in a good way because you may need to go back to it or you may need to talk to those people again. And I think one of the things that I saw is that people were just going, "Okay, I'm done. It's been really rough. And what they didn't realize is the mom that they worked with then ended up having to work 18 hours a day because they just literally walked out. Well, somebody has to absorb the work. And so it's not all about you. You have to understand every action you take impacts another person. It just does. It's one reason we all watch. I like the movie. It's a wonderful life. It's really demonstrative of the fact that you take these actions and you don't understand the impact it has on other people for good and for bad. And so absolutely, it is time to think about what you want to do in life. If you're in a place where you accepted an opportunity and it turns out not to be the right fit for you, it is perfectly acceptable to go and try to find. And in fact, you will do better in life and you will be happier. And the people that you know, you're know you working for are going to be happier because they want committed people and they want people to be happy in their jobs. Nobody wants unhappy employees. All I'm saying is that when you make that decision, do it in a manner that you manage your exit as well as you manage your entry.
1: That's a lovely grounding piece of advice. There's a really wonderful thought leader that we've interviewed on the podcast named Robert Glazer, Bob Glazer. And he does this great rift on how disappointing it is to get two weeks notice from someone as a boss to get two weeks notice as it's almost like in a a romantic relationship having the person just suddenly tell you i'm leaving in two weeks going across country i've met somebody you know oh my gosh because many leaders do work day in day out to make things nicer for for their folks i know that's not the narrative in society but it does matter how you exit in life that is such a great piece of advice
0: Yeah. It really does matter. You never, you know, I, like I said, I've been working 38 years, 38 years around the world. You, people would be amazed when I run into people again, life is a soap opera. (laughs) It is, you know, it's like season 10 and, you know, Dr. Drake and Ramore is back again. Somehow he's alive. Wasn't that the story on friends is all of a sudden he, he went down the elevator shaft and then he appeared like three seasons later, you know, it's life is a soap opera. And I think that's one thing that people don't understand when they're young is that you will run into people again in the most unexpected ways. And therefore, you just want to move your relationships with dignity and respect. And look, not everybody's going to be happy, but you have to think about both how you, you know, and it goes the other direction. One thing I talk about in turnaround is in a turnaround, sometimes due to the economics of the business, not because necessarily of bad people and not even sometimes because of bad decisions, just because of the economic. Of business, you will have to make decisions that result in someone losing their job. But think about how you manage that exit. You know, think about the fact that you may want to hire that employee back. And in fact, one of the stories I tell during a speech is where I had an employee during a massive restructure, and I told this individual and I said, "I'm going to write a letter of recommendation for you. I'll make phone calls for you. I respect you so much. This is killing me." And that individual was so gracious and. That this big old smile and so warm and said, you know what? I understand. And he took me up on my offer. So I helped him find a job with one of our consultants. It turned out that they put him on our contract. So he was working with us two days a week. Well, as soon as he was always gracious and he was always dynamic, they trained him. So he went off and he got this amazing training for the year that he worked for them, something I couldn't have done in my company. I could not have up leveled his experience that the way that they could. So trust me, the moment we had the funds to rehire the position, who was the first person I called? Him. And he came back and I will just never be, I can still picture him walking by my desk and I yelled out his name. And I said, I am so proud of you. I'm just so proud of you. And his smile was huge. And he was so happy to be back. But he also appreciated that life did it in a way that he wouldn't have wanted. But he ended up with great training. He appreciated it. He appreciated the way we handled our relationship. I appreciated his dignity and his respect when he left. And he's now one of my you
1: know, best employees. Oh, that's such a great story. We should always leave room for serendipity yeah you you know there's that old adage that my mom always said about not burning bridges you know oh i am so careful about eggs in my life so that I can, you know, we all want to find people that we can go through hard things with that keep the emotional safety um, level at a a level. We can all tolerate, protect our dignity. You've mentioned the word dignity more than a few times in this conversation. I think that's how we get to the next level where some of us can admit we were wrong, where some of us can, can um, move the ball down the field that we thought we never want anything to do with. You know, there is a, place where we can come together if we can protect each other's dignity talk to me about that in the course of turnarounds because turnarounds do require that we bear it all or that we become very vulnerable
0: They do. And that's where, you know, one of the things that I was given great uh, recommendation from a friend of mine who led, you know, executive training at Salesforce. And she said, telling her about a situation I was walking into, and she goes, look, advice for you. The moment you walk in the door, be extremely like literally in the first hour outline what you've been hired to do, the realities of what that is. And outline the steps that you're going to take, and give them a timeline when they'll know the answers. And say upfront, if you know that you're going to have to basically restructure to the point that people um, exit the organization, tell them at that moment. Don't they just be pull the bandaid off. And then what I added to that is I'm a big believer in shuttle diplomacy, and so I spend a lot of time in any turnaround, whether it's um, because you're also making decisions sometimes about partnerships, or there might be a project that you're. Working with an external party on. You know, if you're going to do something that stops a relationship, I try to go meet with the person in person if I can do so, listen to what their point of view is talk to them, get to know them as people, get to know what's important from them, see the actions that I'm going to take from their point of view, get their input, but by even taking that extra step of humanly sitting down with someone and being highly transparent and meeting with them, that is going to be critical because again, that person may exit or that partner may go away. Maybe one of your employees actually goes to work for the partner or you end up wanting to partner with an organization that they go to in the future. You have to give the human touch, but you also have to see the world from another person's point of view, and then be able to articulate the action you're going to take within their vernacular, within their point of view, because otherwise it's very hard for people to understand what you're doing.
1: That's so true. It's that human touch part. We should be, I I love this. If you're going to have to end a relationship, Yeah. Demonstrate the human touch. That is lovely. So let's turn to this. Let's encourage adventure. (laughs) I, you know, this is, this is where we've got to go. Now we can be dragging our knuckles these days, or we can look at whatever's ahead of us, like some giant adventure. We got to get comfortable with, with the unknown. Talk to us about that.
0: Well, I think what you're talking about is before I got married, my sister and I would meet in a foreign country once or twice a year, and we had no money, so we were we would basically go okay, let's meet in Singapore, and you know she might get there via Thailand, I might get there via Taiwan. We'd set a date, we'd find some hotel location that we could, you know, we like look through. That was before the internet, so we'd look through a guidebook and be okay. Here's this hotel in this street. I'll meet you there in this 24 hour period, and off the two of us would go. And because I'm such a Taipei person and I'm OCD about planning everything in my life. When I go on these vacations, we would plan nothing, nothing. And we would basically just make our decisions. And before 9-11, it was easier to do because we could literally walk into airports and just look at the screen and go, oh, okay, well, you know, it's raining here in, in Thailand. Let's go to India tomorrow. And so my sister and I, we meet people, we talk to people, we go, well, where did you like to go? <laughs> Why did you like this? Well, how far is it? How much does it cost? And so we would give ourselves this time period where these two type a individuals just basically went to foreign countries and figured it out one thing i've learned is there is no country in the world i think i've been to about 80 of them that in the airport there are not a bank of telephones maybe haiti doesn't have this a bank of telephones with hotels you know and you just pick up the phone and you call and the worst was a place called the ramada that i stayed in bangkok when i got there at midnight by myself at the age of 26 and it was 40 dollars a night so i knew I could afford it. But I also knew at that point, $40 was actually a little bit more than it was today. So I wasn't going to be, you know, in a scary location, but you know, I like to do that. We forced my husband to do it one time when we got married, where we went to Vietnam right after it opened back up. And uh, let's just say he does not, he appreciated the trip. He had a great time. He still tells wonderful stories about it, but he never wants to do that again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, this sense of adventure or the, ease with change is really a part of the equation for a lot of people's lives right now
0: it is you've got to embrace it you've got to go for it
1: Mm -hmm. okay so
0: anymore in fact i think one thing that the pandemic did is it brought back road trips what was the best thing about a road trip it just stopped at places. And so I, it's been fun talking to people. Like I've talked to people who you know, are very wealthy that have done these amazing trips and they just decided to do road trips during the pandemic. And they had so much joy From stopping at a, you know, the station on Route 99 and grabbing a hamburger and doing whatever.
1: Yes, we have learned a lot about that in our family, too. During our pandemic, our three college-age kids came back and brought their significant other. So all of a sudden, we went from a household of two to one of eight, and we, we tried to create adventures. And that being just open to whatever happens was totally part of these days and weekends that we tried to enjoy with all these young folks. What about what about people's sense of adventure and this this moving or not moving around the country?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we I think I just saw the statistics. I forget what they were, but it's like in the New York Times where no one's moving. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's been doing some political analysis on this because one of the aspects of not moving is that you're not actually able to change you are presented and and restricted by the geography in which you live economically and and so your opportunities aren't as great and you know i was a big reader of little house in the prairie and i always talk about you know when pa and mr edwards what did they do they they went to where the jobs were i mean how many times was ma and laura you know and her family and mary they were stuck in the little house in the prairie and dad's off you know getting the money and 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 doing this and and what's you know you see it with communities especially uh, people from latin america who come to the united states and you know there's like the i don't think people realize the amount of money that people send back to their families uh, from foreign countries and you know we don't move and i did move a lot and i actually encourage people I, i encourage women in particular i'm like you need if you're in washington it becomes very you become so focused on this one one world And what you don't realize is there's a lot of world out there and so i'll tell a woman if she's single and living in washington and she's been there for nine years maybe she came when she was 21 and she's 29 years old i'm like move someplace else just go do something else go work for a company in silicon valley go go to move to arizona it opens the world. In, and actually, that's what gives me so much confidence. You know, I've already described I can land in any country in the world without reservations. And I have no inhibition whatsoever that I will be fine. We've come to this place where we're not willing to move. And I don't think that's necessarily positive. I think we should be, especially in our youth, out there exploring, seeing what's out there, meeting new people, expanding your universe, because the decisions you make then later on in life is based on your ranking. And reading. You've rated things, you've rejected things, you've accepted things, you have reformulated what's important to you based on the experiences you've had. And, you know, that's what the US military gives people an opportunity to do. One thing military personnel have is they've moved a lot.
1: The experiences you've had, yeah, expanding them. And there's never been a a better time to to do a job search because, because of the great resignation, there's a lot of people hiring and they're looking for folks who've demonstrated the ability to be flexible and resilient. So talk to us about about some practical tips about how you've got kind of how to on job searching for the best fit.
0: Um, you know, it's one thing I tell people to do is I had the opportunity, I was in what was called presidential personnel. And presidential personnel is basically the entity within the White House that does all the headhunting for all the political appointments, of which there are about 3,000. And so I was seeing thousands and thousands of resumes. And so I had this opportunity at the age of 22 to study all these people's resumes. And I saw how their lives evolved. And so when I talk to a young person and I mentor a lot of young people, uh, what we'll do is we'll get on the phone and we'll talk about what they want to do. And in one woman's case, she was saying, well, I want to go on public health and I don't know if I should get my PhD in this, 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 or this. I said, you know what? Let's pull up some resumes on LinkedIn. I'm going to give you five names. And I, I actually didn't know what we'd find. I knew these people, but I never really studied the resume. So we pulled up five different resumes. And what we discovered is there were five people are at the pinnacle of public health today. Very well-known names in the public health field. Not one of them followed the same path. Not one of them. And so we looked at each path and we're like, we looked at what they did for their PhD. And we looked at what they did for their, you know, for their jobs and how they wrote their thesis. And what it did for her is I said, well, look at their paths which of those people's lives do you want to have? And she's like, really? I could, yes, really. Because that's what I did. I just looked at the resumes. I'm like, that looks like a fun life. I want to follow her path. And what it shows you is there aren't, we are not in the environment my dad grew up in. You know, we're, we're not in this. You stay at IBM for 30 years. There is a greater confluence of industry going on right now. So there's no really, you know, there are going to be particular jobs where you have to have a particular Skill set, medicine is is one of those. But the reality is, in a lot of other jobs, there's no perfect path forward. And so you can design your life. And there's a book actually called "Design Your Life" uh, that was done by some professors at Stanford. You can design your life by looking at different ways people got to where they got, and say, well, that one, that one looks like a replica for me. That one, that one's, you know, that's going to be my prototype. And so I, I, there are certain women I can tell you their names. I won't on this, but uh, I'll go. Yep, want the the so-and-so handbook for this problem. And I'm following the so-and-so handbook for that one. So look around you, talk to people. That's the other thing. When you talk to people and ask them for an informational interview, find out how they got to where they got. And you're going to learn some nuggets and things are going to all of a sudden become clear for you.
1: That is such a great piece of advice. So- there's this, uh, back to the great resignation and people rethinking things, uh, the great questioning, I call it, because I think people have this sense these days, We the pandemic gave us a, a reason and an opportunity to pause, to just get off the treadmill and look around ourselves. And I think most, not most, I think there are a great deal of people who have this incredible urge to discover and cultivate what they are uniquely built to contribute that I've found mine. It seems like you've found yours and, and it took me a long time. I was a really successful dentist fixing teeth with computers in 2003. And I definitely thought that was my calling. Um, and I did a lot of great work, but I never have felt more alive. Than and springing out of bed every day for the last eight years since I've been cultivating and nurturing goodness through the Goodness Exchange. So, talk to us about how we discover and cultivate what we're uniquely built to contribute. I'm sure well, you have some insights on that.
0: You know, I do. And, and part of it is looking at what some of my friends have done in their lives. I mean, the thing is, you were built to contribute. In a particular time, it may be that there is a path that you follow that fits for your entire life. And some people have that that experience, but there are other people where what they do and they're great contributors and they love their jobs, but maybe something's happened in their life where that no longer gives them that fulfillment. And that's what you're really talking about with the great resignation is people are reaching an inflection point and something is going not right for me. I know a, a woman who was on Capitol Hill for years as a staffer on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. She decided after 20 years that she was going to go be an Episcopalian minister. So she went back to seminary. I had a girlfriend who was uh, in the top of the game, had an MBA, was in marketing with Del Monte and other big companies doing brand marketing, following that path. And she decided she wanted to go back to be a vet. And all of a sudden in her late thirties, she is in class because she hadn't taken all the biology and other courses she had to take undergrad. She is back in class with a bunch of 20 year olds doing undergraduate courses so that she could get the coursework, even though she had higher level degrees, to qualify her for vet school. Um, I have another girlfriend who was um, at the White House with me under Ronald Reagan, and she was in the press office. And then she went into executive search and she was doing that entire, you know, sort of Washington scene of being a power player, a power broker. And she had a divorce. And all of a sudden she really started thinking about not only what type of lifestyle she wanted to raise her children in, but secondarily, really, what was, what would, what did she want to do? So she went back and did her, got the certification for coaching. She's been coaching, I think now for 16 years. She is because she's always a type A person. She's one of the top coaches I know, but she is helping people that were like her find what it is that they want to do. And also giving them because she'd interacted with so many people at a high level that when she's counseling women and men who are perhaps at a vice president level, trying to go up to that next level, she knows what it takes. And so she's speaking from experience and she uses the... Experience that she had in the world as being a power broker, to actually and knowing a lot of power brokers, to give guidance to people on how they, you know, basically how they manage situations. Finding so moments happen, and you may make a pivot. We have long lives, and I'm getting ready to enter phase three of my life, and I'm looking forward to doing new and different things.
1: This is the opportunity in our times. I can't thank you enough for pointing to so much of that opportunity in today's chat. Lisa, it's just been totally lovely. We, we can't finish this chat without giving people really concrete steps about what to do next. If people want to engage with your insights, public speaking, anything that's out there with you, give us the whole landscape of the Lisa Gable landscape. So, and, and all this will be in the show notes as well, but tell us where people can connect with you next.
0: Sure. You can find me at uh, turnaroundbook.com and that'll take you to the forms for speaking engagements, as well as ways to order my book and other information. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram under Lisa Gable author and on LinkedIn. I am very diligent about answering the notes that I get from people via LinkedIn. That's the best way. If you're trying to reach out to me, do it that way. I still can't figure out Instagram. So I have someone it for me and I've been still trying to figure out how to reply to people. So don't, don't go there, but, but really feel free to follow me on uh, those digital platforms. Feel free to reach out and go to turnaround book
1: com yeah that is so it's just been lovely thank you so much i know that a lot of the things that you said to me will stick with me today and tomorrow and going forward and this is the wonderful thing that we're trying to do on the conspiracy of goodness podcast i find that if if i just get one pearl a day that i use every day going forward then we have really been changed by another person's life and you've given us so many today thank you so much for talking
0: Well, it's just been a pleasure. It's my favorite topic to talk about because um, I really want to see people thrive and survive. And we live in a great country. And, you know, as we started with, we all can pick up the mantle of leadership, big or small. There's so much we can do to help other people solve problems and help people solve complex issues that they're confronting.
1: Yeah. Leadership can happen at any moment in our life. We can be called to the mantle. Thank you so much. Okay, I hope all these connections to goodness and progress carry you through the rest of your week and you start finding all the joy and wonder that Lisa and I have been talking about today. Thanks for joining us. See you soon.